I'm Naomi Kilberth, Christian clinical herbalist, owner of Laurel Tree Wellness, and host of the Family Herbalism Podcast. Here on the show, I bring to you loads of helpful information and practical tips to help you on your natural health journey. We cover common and unique symptom pictures, underlying tissue states and the stories that lead to them, and so many tools that promote and restore wellness, not the least of which is plants. Thank you for joining us today. May you be blessed by the conversation and leave with hope and inspiration. Are you ready? Let's begin. Welcome back to the Family Herbalism Podcast. So a couple of weeks ago, something very sad happened at our church, and a man who was only in his late 40s passed away suddenly from blood clots in his lungs. And I got to thinking about how this has become a concern in the past couple of years where people that we previously would have considered to be quite healthy are suddenly passing away. And so I had another podcast already set to go, plans made for a certain topic, and I decided to put that off for another week so that I could focus on this issue because in light of what happened, and considering that this is affecting a lot of people around the world, that it would be of interest to people uh, to talk about. And so, you know, right now we know that a lot of people are taking aspirin to prevent blood clots. And this is not a safe option for many people. Children can't take aspirin. A lot of people shouldn't take aspirin. And so it's not a, a, an appropriate um, tool for a lot of people. And so I was thinking it would be a really good idea to talk about and explore some herbal options for those who might not want to take aspirin or who might uh, not have that available as a safe choice for them. And so we're going to be talking today about some herbs and some foods that will help to promote healthy blood flow and give you some additional options to consider. It is really important also before I get going that I remind you that I'm not giving you medical advice. If you have any health concern, if you have a pre-existing condition, uh, you should definitely speak to your care provider before altering any medications that you're taking. And if you are taking any blood thinners, it is definitely important to talk to an herbalist or to your doctor before adding any herbs that might have a compounding effect and add to the blood thinning that is happening. But if you are generally healthy and you would simply like to prevent problems from happening, which is where I think most people are who are taking aspirin for this purpose, this is a great place to start. I also want to make sure that you know that, and I think this is fairly obvious, but it's important that I say that there is no way to guarantee any specific outcome. Whether you're taking aspirin or whether you're working with certain herbs that are blood thinners, they will not absolutely prevent you from getting blood clots. So I can't promise anything and neither can anyone else. And this is why it's absolutely important to get information about your options and then make the choice that's right for you, whether you're talking about preventing blood clots or dealing with any other healthcare decision. People around the world, as we said, are currently dying of pulmonary embolisms, stroke, heart attack, and something they're calling sudden adult death, 
which is somewhat familiar because it sounds a lot like sudden infant death syndrome, where we were just blaming these sudden deaths that babies were having on an unknown cause and calling it good, when in actuality there were known causes. Same thing was happening with adults. We're calling it sudden adult death, which is honestly stupid because we can figure out what is going on here. Um, and now that research is being done, we're, we're figuring that out, what, what exactly is happening with these people. Um, what we're learning is that there is an increase in blood clots following both COVID-19 infection and vaccination. And so while it could be very interesting to follow that bunny trail and look at what are the rates between, you know, comparing COVID-19 infection, the wild virus, or that following vaccination, or the side effects of vaccination, we're not actually going to go there today. Um, I specifically want to just talk about the impact of working with natural remedies to help prevent the blood clots that are following both of those situations. Normally, the body will coagulate or create blood clots uh, after a number of situations. One, after you've had an injury, you'll see a clot form, or if you've had a surgery, your body has to clot the blood, or otherwise you would bleed to death. And where the clot forms around the wound, it naturally dissolves as the area heals. So the body creates the, the clots and then it dissolves the clots when they're not needed anymore. And there are numerous blood clotting factors or parts of the blood that help us to create these clots. Uh, I can't remember, I think there's something like 15 or 16 different factors in the blood that are involved. But one of the major ones that's being focused on is fibrinogen. Fibrinogen is a type of protein that comes from the liver. And anytime there is an injury or an infection or even a chronic illness, the liver will release extra of this protein, fibrinogen, and release it into the blood. So you'll end up with levels that are much higher than normal in the blood when the blood is tested. Enzymes will then turn this fibrinogen into a compound called fibrin, which are strands of cells that stick together like a net. And when the immune system has detected that there is some bleeding going on, some reason to create a clot, it will also cause the platelets in that area to become sticky toward each other. Then the fibrin net will catch them and together they form a clot. And again, normally as the wound heals, the clot is broken down by other enzymes and it's harmlessly dissolved back into the blood and any old blood cells that are involved there will be passed out of the body. Sometimes in unhealthy individuals, these clots can become large enough that they block blood flow and stop the heart. And sometimes they come loose and travel to the lungs, also potentially causing death. These are, generally speaking, quite rare in people who are eating well and exercising and sleeping and have lower stress. So we know that there are risk factors associated with developing these blood clots and that if we can prevent these risk factors or reduce these risk factors, we're less likely to develop, to develop these blood clots. Sometimes also, if the blood is flowing too slow or it's too thick, platelets can start to pack up against each other, making clots more likely to be formed. But again, all of this is predictable. We see 
blood markers changing. We see body weight changing. We see uh, lifestyle factors changing that all point toward having cardiovascular issues. But what's been confusing over the past couple of years is that blood clots, which normally occur in a certain percentage of a people, are occurring at much higher rates and among much healthier people. It didn't take very long, thankfully, for researchers to start connecting COVID-19 to this phenomena, and numerous studies have since been done explaining what is happening. And now I'm going to talk about two of these studies in particular, but this type of research is still going on. So we're going to continue to see studies come out that are explaining what's happening in greater detail and also leading to additional potential treatment plans, which is really good. Okay, so the first one that I want to talk about was a study that was published in 2021, and it is available on PubMed, so you can find it by doing a Google search. The title is SARS-CoV-2 Spike Protein Induces Abnormal Inflammatory Blood Clots Neutralized by Fibrin Immunotherapy. Long title, but it was very interesting because it showed that the spike proteins on the virus bind to fibrinogen, which is that protein we talked about that comes from the liver and is involved in clotting. So it binds to that protein. And when the spike protein, uh, clotting the clotting factor, um, when the two come together and then the fibrinogen turns into fibrin, it's actually rougher and denser than normal fibrin. And what's really freaky is that it becomes anticoagulant resistant. Now, what's scary about, is, uh, about that is that we use anticoagulants to treat blood clots that we don't want to be there. And so we use aspirin or we use uh, thrombolytic drugs to break down these clots. But this particular type of fibrin, which was created with both the spike protein uh, and the fibrinogen together, are now resistant to these drugs. It is genetically altered and is not responding to these anticoagulants in the same way that normal clots do. So it's harder to break them down. Researchers in this study also indicated that this genetic modification also accounts for the increased numbers of clots being found in people with COVID, whether it was mild or severe, and even in cases of people who died with COVID and didn't know they had it. So they're finding it in the autopsies, these genetically altered clots. The result of this study was the hopeful news that this group of researchers actually discovered an antibody known as monoclonal antibody 5B8, which targets this strained fibrin without interfering with the body's normal clotting ability. If we use any anticoagulants that are too strong, potentially it can cause bleeding issues, and that's why some of the risk factors associated with aspirin have to do with causing bleeding, additional bleeding from the blood that is now too thin. And so this uh, antibody has been found to be able to treat the clots without causing additional bleeding. And so now they're exploring that as a potential for immunotherapy uh, in treating these COVID blood clots. Now, the second study that I would like to mention is amyloidogenesis of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. That's the title of it, amyloidogenesis of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. 
That was published in May of last year, 2022, by the Journal of American Chemical Society. And in this study, a group of researchers wanted to explore the finding that the spike proteins themselves were turning into this fibrin-type material, causing their own clots. And shockingly, they found that when these proteins came in contact with neutrophil elastase, which is an enzyme released by white blood cells, the viral protein was broken up into pieces that formed amyloid-like fibrils. So amyloid is a word that some of you may be familiar with. It describes the type of plaque that is found on the brains of those with Alzheimer's. So essentially what was happening is in these Petri dishes, they were exposing the spike proteins to an enzyme from white blood cells, which is going to be released naturally by the blood. And it was causing the proteins to fold over on themselves and create these plaques that could then cause damage in the cardiovascular system or the nervous system or elsewhere in the body. Then the researchers decided to expose these same clots that had just been formed into uh, to plasmin, which is the part of the blood that contains fibrolytic enzymes that normally break down the clots. So they were anticipating that when they exposed these clots to the plasmin, that the clots would break down. That's a very normal response by the immune system and by the clots in a normal process. But the strange thing was that this plasmin was unable to completely dissolve the clots. So even though it normally would be very effective at doing so, it was not in this case. And we had leftover pieces of clot sitting there that would potentially have been causing problems if it was inside someone's body. Fibrin clots from whatever source are also able to mess with the nervous system, causing many inflammatory conditions with immune involvement, even if the person does not have cardiovascular complications. So there's a lot of research being done around this because there are theories that, you know, long term, these clots or these plaques could cause complications very similar to amyloid plaques or other types of clotting mechanisms around the body and having all kinds of impacts on people who maybe have post-COVID symptoms or long-haul COVID, uh, people who have autoimmune conditions, nervous system dysregulation, all these different things. And so clearly we're, we're only three years into this. It's going to take a lot more research, and that's continuing to happen. That's part of this process. So you might be wondering, though, given that these blood clots seem to have come out of the blue, how do we know if something is wrong? Um, you know, people who are previously healthy seem to be healthy. They're in good shape. They eat well. They sleep. They don't seem to be stressed out. They don't have any pre-existing health conditions. And then all of a sudden, they, they die from a blood clot. Um, so how do we know if that's happening? How can we detect these problems before... Um, they cause severe damage or even death. The symptoms that we are advised to look out for for blood clots include severe or persistent headache, blurred vision, racing heart, chest pain, dizziness, shortness of breath, arm or leg pain, leg swelling, warmth, tenderness, or weakness of arms or legs, persistent abdominal pain and vomiting and diarrhea, or easy bruising, 
or tiny blood spots under the skin around the injection site for a person who got the vaccine. And I realized that some of these symptoms are associated with pre-existing conditions possibly for some people, or some might be passed off, you know, like if a person is just feeling dizzy and they have no other symptoms, you know, that's probably unlikely, but it could easily be passed off as something completely unrelated. So I'd like to offer a couple other signs that have more to do with the energetic assessments that I give clients. And that is that people who have blue coloring on their tongue or very thick purple or blue veins under the tongue may have thick, slow, or congested blood. That does not mean that they have uh, blood clots or that anything serious is right about to happen, but it does indicate a very strong potential for an imbalance in their cardiovascular system that should be addressed. Another thing that can be looked for is grayness on the tongue or skin, just the color of gray, because that suggests a lack of oxygen flow. So if blood is not flowing correctly, oxygen won't be flowing correctly either. And there are other reasons why a person's tongue might be gray. So if a person is um, a smoker or if they are elderly, their tongue is more likely to have a gray tone to it anyway. But in a younger, healthier person, that's not a good sign. Uh, if you have any symptoms of blood clots that are not explained by other obvious causes, it's a good idea to get it checked out. It's possible that if you go see your doctor or you go to the hospital that you may be sent home with no answers, but even if that's the case, you can see an herbalist to work with you in finding natural options that will support cardiovascular health. And if you do go to your doctor or to the hospital to get checked out, there are a number of tests that can be run to assess for blood clots. The ones that are normally run include lipids and other liver function tests. Remember, that's where the fibrinogen comes from. You can also have the clotting factors, including fibrinogen, tested for. You can also get a D-dimer, which is a protein that's actually broken down from the clot. So if the D-dimer is positive, it indicates that there at least were clots, if not current clots, present uh, because they're being broken down. And then you can also have the prothrombin time or partial prothrombin time measured, which measures basically how quickly your body uh, reacts to an injury and causes coagulation to happen. However, there was another article that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, in 2020 that said that these standard blood clotting tests are not as accurate in cases of COVID clots. And so they said that while it catches a good chunk of them, that the most accurate test is um, actually a TEG or a thromboelastography. <laughs> Try to pronounce that correctly. Um, unfortunately, though, this is a rather uh, unaccessible, inaccessible test. It's generally only used for those who are going to have uh, a surgery, like an open heart surgery, or have some other known cardiac problems. And it also takes half an hour to an hour to perform and is more expensive. So it's not something that everyone can just go and order. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you can't order the other tests or ask your doctor about the other tests, like the um, having the liver function tests and the clotting factor tests. It just know that if they all come back in the clear and that's, that would be good, 
if you still have reason to be concerned about blood clots, it's important to address it and not just ignore it because the test came back negative. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for being overly concerned or anxious about this. Just know that tests can provide useful information, but they are also somewhat limited. And so having uh, you know, good results on a test does not rule out the, the idea that we still need to be proactive in taking care of ourselves. So um, the tests, all of the tests come down to, to these important facts that we need to, um, we need to get rid of the spike proteins and we also need to prevent COVID clots. These are the, the two things that we really need to focus on because if the spike proteins are number one, folding themselves into these uh, plaques, and if they are attaching themselves to the fibrinogen and causing more plaques, then we probably ought to look at how we can eliminate the spike proteins from our bodies. And second, we also want to make sure that our blood is nice and healthy so that we can prevent the clots from forming excuse me, at all. Spike proteins from the virus can stick around up to a year after infection. That's as far as we know. I don't think it's been tested longer than that. So uh, subjects who have been tested to, to, to see how long the spike proteins are present in their body have been tested up to a year, and that's how long they have found spike proteins present in their blood. So even if they have no symptoms at all, they don't have long-haul COVID or anything, they still have spike proteins in their body with the potential to cause harm. There are numerous compounds that are being researched as potential options for clearing these from your system more quickly. I think the most exciting potential compound here that's been studied is actually the common dandelion, dandelion leaf. It has been studied and it has been found to be one of these substances which is effective at clearing spike proteins from the body. And so a simple dandelion tea drank daily can be an important part of this plan. Um, today I'm focusing specifically on the blood clots, but there is a lot of research out there that's easy to, to find. Using a quick Google search, you can find the studies all about clearing spike proteins. So that's something that you may want to do additional research on. Now for normal blood clots, prevention tools include exercising regularly, getting proper sleep, managing stress, avoiding cigarettes, eating mostly unprocessed foods, and certain supplements like fish oil, garlic, turmeric, CoQ10, probiotics, and the vitamins E and D are all associated with healthier blood and fewer cardiovascular risks. It's also important to review any medications that you're taking with your doctor because certain medications can actually increase the risk of blood clots. One of the most common prescriptions that is given that has this effect is birth control. So if you're taking hormonal birth control, you may want to consider talking to your doctor about an alternative for that. Unfortunately, these normal uh, methods of preventing blood clots may not be quite as effective. They're probably going to be helpful at keeping your blood healthy, but again, it's not going to necessarily impact the spike proteins. There are a lot of cellular changes that are occurring with the COVID illness and the vaccine that put people at a disadvantage. 
So the most healthy people are still experiencing these in some cases. And so much more research will need to be done to confirm that herbs and foods can prevent these strange blood clots from forming, since we know that they tend not to respond as well to anticoagulant medications. The good thing is, though, that these foods and herbs are safer than aspirin. That's almost 100% across the board. And uh, many other anticoagulants and blood thinners as well, which means you can take larger amounts of these foods and herbs and for longer periods of time without, um, usually without any side effects. And for some people, even the few side effects they might experience would be significantly less serious or less irritating than taking aspirin or other blood thinners over a period of time. Medications for blood clots are actually divided into two categories. You have blood thinners, which are anticoagulant and prevent blood clots from forming, and you have thrombolytic compounds that dissolve the blood clots. Many herbs actually fall under both categories because of their wide spectrum of chemical properties. Some of them, like ginkgo, garlic, ginger, turmeric, and green tea, have been studied heavily and found to be as effective as pharmaceutical medications. Many other herbs have not been studied, but their historical use for this purpose goes back centuries or thousands of years, and they have proven their effectiveness in case studies or in, you know, specific, like, um, cases listed and described by care providers rather than in formal studies that involve hundreds or thousands of people. And there are, there are a lot of them out there. Again, as, as with everything we have talked about, there are so many potential, um, potential herbs that could be useful here. So I'm going to list off uh, a bunch, and then we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail. The first is helichrysum usually uh, used in essential oil form, can break up clots underneath the skin. It can also be used in whole form, as in making a tea or a tincture. Parsley, fennel, Chinese ginseng, cassia, cinnamon, meadowsweet, red sage, lemon balm, angelica, yarrow, cayenne, feverfew, peppermint, red clover, chamomile, blue vervain, black cohosh, oregano, valerian, hawthorn, motherwort, and St. John's wort. Most of these are actually traditionally used for people who have thick or stagnant blood. Um, it also might be known as low blood, where they might feel dizzy from lack of oxygen to the brain, and they might have um, edema or swelling in their ankles. They might have memory loss or difficulty with processing ideas, feeling tired more often. <clears throat> um, stress can be a big deal for these people, lack of motivation. Um, in many of these cases where the, the movement of the blood is, is uh, slower and it's thicker and more stagnant, all of these herbs are going to be stimulating and moving to the blood um, to just make sure that nutrients are getting where they need to be, oxygen's getting where it needs to go, and it's moving around the body um, completely. And so each of these herbs works in a slightly different way, but 
but all definitely serve their purpose and different ones might be appropriate for different people. So for example, yarrow is one that I will use when a person's tongue shows that there is maybe blue or purple in a certain area, but it's not spread evenly across the whole tongue, which suggests that there is some blood flow around the body, but it's not going everywhere in the body. It's sort of like there are certain areas that are being prioritized for blood flow and oxygen flow, and then other areas are missing out. And so yarrow can really help with that. It also helps prevent blood from congealing. And so if a person has been wounded or had some type of injury that involves the cardiovascular system, yarrow can be really helpful at stopping excess bleeding and also making sure that the blood clot is formed in a healthy way and dissolved when it is no longer needed. All of these work, again, in different ways and are appropriate for different people. And But the great thing is that some of them are actually very common. So you have herbs like parsley and fennel and cinnamon, um, even you know cayenne and peppermint, uh, oregano. All of these are herbs that we are familiar with because they're most often in our pantries and we're adding them to our foods. So you really don't need to have a fancy way of preparing these herbs. All you have to do is add them to your food and this will benefit you. So if you need to put them out on your counter to remind you that they are there and that you want to be adding them into your meals, that's great. Set them out. Remind yourself, uh, you know, when you're making your breakfast, think, what can I add to my breakfast that's going to help with my blood flow? Can I add some black pepper to it? Um, You know, if I'm making some toast, can I add some cinnamon to it? If I'm making, you know, a sandwich, can I add some parsley to it? What are you going to add to your meals so that you are getting in some of these spices on a regular basis? And that will go a long way towards supporting your cardiovascular system if you're doing it on a regular basis. And it doesn't have to be the same herbs every time either. Uh, The body likes variety, so mix it up and try something different with every meal. Other uh, herbs from this list are commonly used in tea forms, such as peppermint, St. John's wort, chamomile, lemon balm. In this case, you might consider making a daily cup of tea to support regular blood flow. If tea is not something you enjoy or you don't really have much time in the day and that the thought of that stresses you out, you might like one of these in tincture form. I also created an episode, which was season one, episode five, called 15 Simple Ways to Work with Plants. And it included 15 different recipes and directions on how to make remedies that are simple besides tea and tincture. And some of them are just food-based things that kids are more likely to eat and adults may be more likely to enjoy as well. Um, Again, mix it up, try different plants, but the idea is to, on a regular basis, get some herbs, you know, into your system. And let's see here. So in addition to that, let's see, if you're making a tea, you would want to make sure that you're using about a tablespoon of plant material per cup. And the proper way to make a tea is to add the teaspoon of plant material to your, you know, the tea ball or the tea bag or just straight into your mug. Pour over the near boiling water and let it brew for usually seven to ten minutes. Some of these, like hawthorn berries, if they're harder, thicker, or root-based, then you may need to have more time. 
maybe closer to 15, 12 to 15 minutes of brewing before it's ready. You can also put uh, about, well, a tablespoon's worth per cup of water into a jar, like a mason jar, and top it off with the near boiling water and then screw a cover on and just let it sit for at least an hour. And that will actually benefit you by collecting many of the essential oils, the aromatic properties that would have evaporated. We'll keep it inside the jar so that your tea is much stronger, has more flavor, and more of the medicinal properties that you're really going for. And finally, some of these teas or these herbs are available in essential oil form, such as helichrysum, chamomile, and lemon balm. These you would want to dilute and apply to the skin or put into a diffuser or use another method of working with essential oils. I do not remember the, the particular number for the episode, but I did create an episode specifically on aromatherapy and the many ways that you can work with essential oils, so you can refer to that if you would like. However, I do want to emphasize that if you believe you have a blood clot under your skin, you should not massage it, even with oil, because it is possible that if it doesn't break loose, um, if or that if it doesn't break down, if it doesn't dissolve, it might actually break loose and then spread to other areas of the body, organs, where that could be very dangerous. So if you believe that you have a blood clot under your skin, it should be addressed by your doctor and a plan can be made. Helichrysum oil can be applied topically, gently to help break it down, but massage can be very dangerous. So definitely avoid that uh, without further guidance. Now, looking at all of these herbs, which I can run through one more time, I just want to emphasize that I do not like making blanket statement recipes. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to mix these different herbs, because especially when we're talking about cardiovascular health, everyone's situation is different. And it's entirely possible that I could create a blend which would be very safe for one person and definitely not appropriate for another person. And so while many of these are very safe herbs and all of them are generally safe and you know in food size quantities, it would be better for you to either do your research on what is safe for you with the medications you're taking and your health situation or to work with me or another herbalist directly so that we can go over your medical history and make sure that everything you're taking is appropriate for you. So one more time through those herbs, we have uh, we have ginkgo, garlic, ginger, turmeric, and green tea, which were the ones I mentioned that had been studied more thoroughly, as well as helichrysum, parsley, fennel, Chinese ginseng, cassia, cinnamon, meadowsweet, red sage, lemon balm, angelica, yarrow, cayenne, feverfew, peppermint, red clover, chamomile, blue vervain, black cohosh, oregano, valerian, hawthorn, motherwort, and St. John's wort. So lots to choose from, lots to do some research on, what should you end up with? You know, some people do like to take a capsule form, like a, like a supplement they take every day. If this were the case and it is appropriate for your situation, you may like to try a supplement of ginkgo that you would take about 500 milligrams of daily or a garlic supplement. This is well-researched, safe for most people. 
um, but you may find that another herb would be better suited to you after working with an herbalist or doing research on your situation. So uh, no blanket statement answers, but in the end, there are options. We are not limited to aspirin only to prevent blood clots. We know that these herbs are uh, effective, as effective in many cases as anticoagulants. And so if you have concerns about taking aspirin on a daily basis, know that there is still a way for you to prevent blood clots and to support cardiovascular health. All right, if you would like to learn more about working with me directly, you can visit my website, www.laureltreewellnessllc.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to reach out to ask particular questions about this episode, if you have concerns about blood clots, you can also reach out to me by emailing me at laureltreewellness at gmail.com. I really appreciate you guys listening, and I look forward to seeing you here back uh, next week. The Family Herbalism Podcast is created for educational purposes only. You have the right and responsibility to make all health-related decisions for your own life. If you experience a medical emergency, please contact appropriate medical providers. To receive herbalist support, please visit www.laureltreewellnessllc.com. If you enjoy this podcast and find it helpful, please share it with your friends and family and leave a review. Thank you for listening.